G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about the contents of a new book that sets out to address the readiness of the church for the second coming of Christ. The book is called Bringing the Church Back to Christ, Preparing the Bride for the Groom's Return. The book has a focus on the idea that Christians are in the world, but not of the world. The author emphasizes the urgent need for believers to examine their blind spots and realign with their intended mission before Christ returns. He says, in the history of the church, the collective body of Christ is marked by many instances of failure to maintain the distinction between that which is God-breathed and that which is secular influence. Well, our special guest is Edamudia Gabadia, who has worked as a university professor, an attorney, government administrator, motivational speaker, pastor and evangelist. He charts the church's storied past, examines how it's strayed from its path over time and outlines what is required to be equipped for Christ's forthcoming return. Edamudia Gabadia, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Edamudia, I had never heard of you before we set up our conversation today, and perhaps there are those in Australia, our audience in Australia, who are familiar with you, but perhaps uh, as we get underway today, a little bit about your background and the church that you lead in the United States. Uh, Give us some insights into what you're leading there. Um, We have a ministry here called Overcomers in Christ Group of Churches. So I oversee four churches um, overall, three in the United States and one in my home country, Nigeria. And um, briefly, in a nutshell, I was called into pastoral ministry in April of 2006. Um, When I was in my native country, um, I grew up as a nominal Christian, deviated into the world of the occult. And it took the grace of Jesus Christ to bring me out of there. And um, I received the calling into pastoral ministry early in the 2000s. And I was ordained 2006. And ever since, um, my joy has been to plant churches and teach God's people um, what the Bible says about the things of God. I wonder whether, before we get into our topic and talk about your book, if you're able to reflect here for a few moments, because what I glean and what I understand about people of your extraction, 
uh, coming out of Nigeria. And even as you say, you became a nominal Christian after coming out of the world of the occult. Uh, And in Nigeria, that's a very real phenomenon, uh, the idea of uh, the powers that work uh, from the dark side, uh, from the devil in in the way we would discern that. But give us some insight here into uh, this idea of your spiritual heritage uh, out of Nigeria and uh, and now you're called into pastoral ministry in the Christian church. Well, I, I grew up um, Anglican in Nigeria. Um, I was born into an Anglican family and I never really took um, that seriously. And then in my early 20s, um, out of curiosity, I, I, I stumbled into the world of um Occultism, the Marine Kingdom, and I was initiated into that world. And I began to traffic with spirits from India and seven spirits under the sea. And um, I was an impetuous youth, so I was quick to take an oath, um, an oath of allegiance to to the devil. And um, the oath I took was that if I ever left the world of the occult, um, that particular occult house that I would die in a car accident or be paralyzed for life. So I had that fear all along that I had to deal with until Jesus came and set me free. Wow. And um, I found, and, and that has really helped me in ministry to, to minister to people that have been oppressed by that realm, by that dark realm. Well, I'm so glad uh, that... I was able to just draw that little bit about you and your background uh, from someone who, in their past, swore allegiance to the devil and came under a curse of death if you were ever to leave that occult practice. And you have been set free by Jesus Christ. And I know that there'll be listeners to our conversation today who will appreciate knowing that about your background. And I wonder whether... uh, Understanding those things that you understand from your past and applying these sorts of thoughts that you have uh, to the preparation of the church uh, ahead of the second coming of Christ. I wonder whether you've got some thoughts here that the second coming of Christ has really captivated your imagination of recent years uh, in the way that you've been able to prepare your book. Uh, How are you anticipating the second coming of Jesus? I think it would be a surprise for many. And the reason why I say so, just to fall back on my background, when I was in the occult in Nigeria, I mean, I've had interviews on this, it's on YouTube. Um, When I was in the occult in Nigeria, so-called men of God, in quotes, used to come to the devil to receive power to grow their churches and to um, perform miracles. And they will be given powers to do these things. In other words, they will be assigned demons to work with them to produce these false miracles and to grow their churches numerically, financially, whatever. So there are many in the body of Christ um, who are sincere, but they don't know that they may be under a leader with a satanic anointing. And that really is going to take the church by surprise. Without mentioning names, there was a prominent Christian leader here in the U.S. that died last year. And all of a sudden, after his death, we started, we started hearing unprintable stories about him. 
and how he um, slept with prostitutes and maintained um, um, a parlor and all things of that nature. So I think um, there's going to be a big surprise for the body of Christ. And the only way to be right with God is to be in the Word of God, to align with the Word of God. It's a sobering thing to think, and we might not like to think that those things happen in Australia, and who can say whether they do or don't. But as you say, where you have the instances in Nigeria, your homeland, where some churches, the leaders of those churches, have even sought the power of the devil for false miracles in Christian churches. Now, we can find probably a whole lot more testimonies of people who are leading churches who have sought the power of God for breakthrough there. But that's an interesting one when you talk about seeking power from this dark side to, in fact, take people away. I guess you're talking about a deception here, taking people away from the power of God, the legitimate power in the name of Jesus Christ, but actually operating under the power of the devil. That's the sort of thing you're describing here. Exactly. And you know, Christ talks about that. And this is why the church needs to come back to Christ. We have so deviated. Christ talks about that. He says, on the last day, many will come and say, Lord, in your name, not in the name of the devil, in your name, we cast out devils and we healed the sick. And Christ will say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So they did it in his name, but they were workers of iniquity. So they used the name of Jesus, but they were operating in another spirit, a contrary spirit. So I think it's not just um, prevalent in Nigeria or Africa. I think it's a global phenomenon. Wherever evil is, evil is never idle. Evil is never idle. It's always looking for what to possess. So I think we really have to go back to the Bible if we want to go back to Christ. I really think so. Let's come to this idea uh, of whether the church, and of course when you say church, uh, that's a big blanket term. Let's assume that those churches that are operating under that power of the devil are only a very, very small minority compared to the majority. But let's talk about the church and a general impression here as to whether you think the churches, and you're in the United States as we're talking to you, but the churches around the world, whether they are ready for the second coming of Christ. What's your impression, Ida Moodya? I think um, a number of churches, yes, are ready. But I think generally the church is distracted. I think um, the sincere church, one of our major problems is distraction. And um, what distraction does is that it takes our priority and our focus of the things that are valuable to Christ. And then we start to tell Christ what should be valuable to him or what we think is valuable to him. So I think the challenge for the church is to get its focus back um, on Christ, putting Christ at the center and not at the periphery. You know, we are too distracted, either it's by politics or the things of the world. And if you really want to see this play out, ask yourself the question. We can do like a litmus test. What is the church talking about today? 
or rather who fills our conversations today. And the church in America in particular has just come through um, a period where most of its conversation was dominated by politics. And when unbelievers hear us um, give the bulk of our conversation to politics, it gives the impression that the church is another political party. And so I think if we are going to be prepared for Christ's coming, we must get rid of this distraction and begin to occupy. We must occupy until he returns. And to occupy means to do those things that he told us to do, to take territory from, from the kingdom of darkness, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And to be sincere, many churches are not doing that because we are looking out for our own interests. And Christ never looked out for his interests. Christ looked out for the interests of others. That is love. And so we have to get to the point where, as a church, we can sincerely say, if you slap me on my right cheek, my left cheek, I will turn the other cheek to you. So I think that's one challenge we have to address, the distraction. You know, it's like the, the, the church in Ephesus. Jesus was talking to the church in Ephesus. He said, you know what? I, I don't have anything against your works. You've done some great work here. In fact, I commend you for your works. But you have left your first love. You're still doing a good work, but you've left your first love. Why? You've been distracted by other things. So I think even I, myself, my ministry, we always have to take that litmus test and say, you know what, what really engages us at the moment? Well, it is a great conversation we're getting into here. And for regular listeners to this program, you'll know we talk a lot about Christianity and politics. And uh, there may even be a little bit of a difference here. And while I might say uh, we need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time to pick up an ex-American president's uh, quote there, uh, that there are all sorts of dimensions that we need to be addressing according to our giftings, there is the potential for dis distraction from the priorities that Christ may have set for us by way of his mission, uh, of his purposes. So I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts to offer. There is also a Facebook question that you can respond to today where we're asking, what do you think has to change for the church to be ready for the second coming of Christ. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Edamudia Gabadia. We're talking to him from the United States. He leads what's called Overcomers in Christ, a group of churches. He's released a number of books. The one we're talking about today, released just recently, is Bringing the Church Back to Christ, Preparing the Bride for the Groom's Return. Edamudia, let's talk about this idea that as Christian believers we are in the world, but not of the world. What do you think of when you hear that scripture quotation? And uh, how do you uh, think we ought to be uh, uh, contending with that scripture and, uh, and being obedient to that scripture? I think when Christ said 
that? That's a good question, Neil. And um, I think when Christ said that, what he was saying was, even though we are in the world, our values, our interests, our orientation um, should not be of the world. Um, we should not depend so much on the world. We should not depend on the world for our sustenance. We should not depend on the world for our validation. My validation comes from Christ, the one that called me. And so when you have a situation where the church um, seeks to derive its validation from the world, or believers seek to derive their validation or their value from the world, then we have missed it. So we are like salt. We are, we are supposed to influence the world. The spirit of the world is not supposed to influence us. And we are in trouble. You know, we have to, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. And Neil, we have to be honest with ourselves if we are going to really examine ourselves. And upon self-examination, I think it is apparent that the spirit of the world has crept into our churches. And you see that in fashion, in the way we speak, um, there's so much worldliness, and we need to really return to holiness. So, so when Christ is saying, you know, we are in the world, but we are not of this world, because the gospel of Christ is at variance with the world. That's why God says, you can't be a friend of the world, and be my friend. You, you have to choose. There's no balancing act here. You, you just have to choose. But yet, we are called to love the souls of the world. And, and I think that is where, as believers, we, we would really have to... Let me take that again. I think that is where, especially for the younger believers, we would really have to disciple them and teach them that their values should not come from the world. You know, the world will hate you. It says, if the world hated me, the world will hate you too. But now we, are, we, now we have this um, tendency to want to be politically correct, to please the world, to want to be socially correct, to please the world. And, and it is best to just speak what the Bible says, and we would not be in trouble. And why I love the Bible, I come from a country that is predominantly um, Christian. I grew up in a country, sorry, that is predominantly Christian, um, Muslim, predominantly Muslim. Um, Nigeria is predominantly Muslim. And the only way you can deal with people is by love. Is by love. And the world does not really know how to love. <laughs> not really know how to love the world is teach for that you do for me i do for you so getting and many times in the churches we have we have formed cliques you know and when we form cliques and um things of that nature we start to behave like the world so the idea of being unencumbered by worldly things uh, i imagine that the remedy for that is to Fix your eyes on Christ, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, because isn't it easy, uh, ut idemudia, to somehow or other get 
caught up in all of the things you're not supposed to do uh, when, in actual fact, the idea of the pursuit of holiness or a separatedness to God actually is going to uh, meet the need of how you actually do that separation from those things. How do you talk about how you get prepared here by letting go of those things of the worldliness of our lives and getting those focuses, as you say, on the holiness of God? Yes. You know, there's a scripture that comes to mind in Philippians, and uh, the Apostle Paul is warning the church in Philippi. He says, for such men are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say they are the enemies of Christ. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So they want a Christ without the cross. And the church would have to embrace the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must crucify our flesh. We must humble ourselves. Because when you get to the cross, and correct me if I'm mistaken, Neil, when you get to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ demands total repentance. You know, it demands that we crucify that old man so that the new man in Christ can come alive. So the church would have to um, come to a place where it repents for its past actions. Because the truth be told, without delving too much into history, the truth be told, even in modern times, the the church has been privy to some wrongdoing or has kept quiet when it should have spoken against wrongdoing. And these are things um, we would have to repent of. And if we don't, Unbelievers will look at us and see our hypocrisy. Unbelievers will look at us and we start to become like a laughing stock. So I think the first step um, towards returning to Christ would be repentance, genuine repentance, and continuing in a lifestyle of repentance. But we have this tendency that we are always right. You know, Idemudia is always right or Neil is always right. And once we think we are always right and every other Christian is always wrong or every other person is always wrong, it's difficult to continue the conversation. So as a church, we must humble ourselves and say, Lord, is there a log in my eye? Many times we don't see the log in our eye. We think it's just a speck. We always think it's a speck in our eye. But we have to humble ourselves and go to Jesus and say, Lord, by happenstance, will there be a log in my eye? And Jesus will show us. For many times we are busy trying to remove the speck in a brother's eye or in another's eye, and we've not dealt with our own issues. So, so, so these are the things that motivated me to write the book, Bringing the Church Back to Christ, because you especially where I operate. I've lived in the United States for about 28 years. And what I have seen, I've seen so much division in the church, you know, division caused by, um, you know, the history um, of the country and the politics of the country and the scramble for economic resources. It has caused so much division and strife in, in church. Um, It may not be like that in Australia, but this is um, a phenomenon we deal with here. And that really prompted me to write the book. And I'm saying, you know what, if we continue on this trajectory, 
when Christ comes, we will not be ready. When he comes as a thief in the night, we will still be in our mess. And the way we get ready now is to humble ourselves and repent. If my people that are called by my name, Second Chronicles 7 verse 14, we need to go back to that. Humble ourselves, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, and he promises that he will hear us from heaven. Well, Amen. I can... I can hear this idea of personal consecration, of repentance, turning to Christ, uh, understanding his purpose for our lives. And then, as you're describing here, Edomudia, the idea of the pursuit of a level of simplicity of faith, which may actually be a profound way of pursuing your life, a life which is simplicity. And of course, uh, this we're talking about, I guess, on a personal level, and I assume that that then gravitates into the idea of what you do in your local church. So you've got a body of believers who are uh, turned to God in repentance and living in this sense of, uh, of simplicity. We're going to continue our conversation after Vision National News. Edamudia, we'll take a call or two in just a few moments, but one response to our Facebook question today, which asks, what do you think has to change for the church to be ready for the second coming of Christ? Uh, one of our listeners has said, the church, and I suspect he might be saying our church, doesn't preach about sin or the second coming of Christ. Uh, that might be illustrative of why you needed to write a book like this. So what are your thoughts for Paul, who made that comment? True. And um, first of all, we need a hunger. We, it's like um, we've lost our hunger for the things of God, our thirst for the things of God. And we, I'm going to answer that question. We look at things too naturally. We look at things too naturally, and we have to be careful that we are not the natural man that Paul talks about. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. So when you become a spiritual man, you begin to understand that in the realm of the spirit, Jesus can part the skies and rapture his people up, pull them up. No natural law can do that. So if you are a natural person, you're going to minimize the event of the rapture because it does not make sense to the natural mind. But if you're a spiritual person, you will understand that it can happen at any time. The Bible tells us a story in the book of Acts. Philip was reading to the Ethiopian eunuch. And when he had finished baptizing him, he was translated to a place called Azotus all of a sudden. That is not natural. That is supernatural. So many Christians have become natural Christians. So they look at these things as fairy tales or as um, make-believe. But the Bible makes it clear that there would be a rapture. Jesus talks about it in the parable of the ten virgins. And, and we need to teach more about the second coming of Christ because that will really cost people to examine themselves and make sure that they have oil in their lamps, that they are ready when the Lord comes. 
Wonderful stuff. Take Jesus at his word. And uh, as you say, looking at the Bible through natural eyes or eyes that we might say are shaped by our own secularizing, uh, we will tend not to have a spiritual view, but take Jesus at his word. These things will happen. Take God at his word. Jesus will come again. And what do we need to do to be ready? Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Jill in Tasmania. Hello, Jill. Welcome. Oh, hello, Neil. I'm, I don't want to interrupt this wonderful man, a servant of the Lord, who's saying everything that I would love him to say and even more. But um, I think that the, the attitude that we have, which I've tried to um, pass on to people, the way God has shown me that if we have a deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ and not dumb him down as so many television programs do and just call him Jesus and then um, he just seems to be like an add-on in many programs. But um, if we return to our first love and we just embrace him with all our heart, soul and mind, um, and it says that love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And you know, St. Augustine said something remarkable, and most pastors would be horrified at what he said. After quoting that verse, he said, and then you can do what you like. And I've proven it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ loving him so much. And he said, if you keep my commandments, my, I will come to you and reveal myself to you. And my father will come to you and reveal himself to you. And what more wonderful um, life could we have than that? But it takes all of our heart, all of our love, all of our soul, loving the Son of God, even as the angels in heaven exalt him. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the coming King. He's the one who, who, who just, he's just longing to be our forever friend and our, the love of our life. So with this dear man, I must shut up because he's got so much one more to say that I would would approve Jill, of. And, and I don't think anyone listening minds your little uh, intrusion there, and uh, and I don't think our special guest Ida Moodya will mind either. Uh, Ida Moodya, what are your thoughts for Jill? Well, I think Jill has raised something paramount and central to the gospel, which is the love of Christ. Just love Jesus. Now, the litmus test again. The litmus test again is your love for Christ cannot be trusted until it is tested. So God will always test that love, just like he tested Abraham's faith. And the ultimate test for the love for Jesus is do you love his cross? Because there are many that profess love for Christ until they get to the cross. And it is the cross that will really challenge us to see how much love we have for Christ. Which, if I might add, that is why in some church settings, there's been a deviation in doctrine. So the cross is no longer at the center. And then they allow this um, 
prosperity gospel coming to the church and merchandisers and money changers and they come with this name it and claim it and why is that it's because they've not put the cross at the center they've put their own interest before the cross of christ paul said that he was glory only in the cross we need to get back to that place because i believe that when i stand before jesus christ and he looks at me with his eyes that are like flaming fire he would examine me to see if I love the cross. You know, you could have a friend. There are many fair-weather friends. And that's where the church has to be careful. The church has to be careful that it is not a fair-weather friend to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus wants to know your loyalty as a friend. And the only way he knows your loyalty is if you're ready to go to the cross. Wonderful stuff. And uh... so the cross has, yes, the cross has a paramount, I'm sorry, the cross has a paramount role in, in bringing the church back to Christ. Love for God is not trusted until it is tested. Uh, I think wise words. Jill, thank you so much for your contribution to our conversation today. Let's hear from Terry Ann. Terry is in New South Wales. Terry Ann, welcome along. Yes, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that it isn't for everyone and not all of us are in trail and not all of us will find God or Jesus or the Lord within our hearts and we must have mercy for all living humans because, as I say, it's not for everyone. Interesting thought there, Terry ann uh, What are your thoughts, uh, Ida Moodya? Uh, the Bible says, Again, I go back to the Bible in John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So it is whosoever believes in him. So it's an open invitation to everyone, but only whosoever will accept that invitation. So we are not naive as to think that the whole world will come to Jesus. If the whole world is going to come to Jesus, then there will be no need for a judgment day, you know? So, yes, not everyone will come to Christ, but we are mandated by the gospel to preach the good news to everyone. And, yes, we must show love. We must show mercy. We are not to be judgmental. We, Christ did not appoint me or appoint his bride, the church, to go looking for logs in people's eyes or specks in people's eyes. He didn't do that. He was a friend of sinners. If we are going to win people to Christ, then we must show the love and compassion of Christ. But yes, not everyone will come to Christ. We know that because when you read the book of Revelation, that is clear. But yet we are called to preach to everyone. The Bible says to Ezekiel, Son of man, if I tell you these people are in sin and you don't warn them and they perish, their blood will be on your head. We don't want no sinner's blood on our head, so we, we would um, preach to everyone that cares to listen. Terry ann from New South Wales, thank you so much for your call. And uh, interesting there that not everyone will come to Christ. And I wonder whether you've got a thought or two here, perhaps to add to this idea that not everyone will come. But when we have this <laughs> idea of... 
repentance, uh, that we will actually have the love of God in our own hearts and then we will be uh, able to and even inspired to uh, share that love with others. And that's why we'd carry this good news of the gospel. Isn't that the case in Namudia? Yes, and still we that is the case, yes, to answer your question. And furthermore, we know Jesus tells us he will separate the sheep from the goats. He tells us my sheep, they know my voice, the voice of a stranger they won't listen to. So we know that he has a sheep, not everyone is a sheep. And um, but still we are mandated to preach the gospel. I suspect love at the center there because I can't think of instances where I would have heard of any Christian believer sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ, in any way to hurt the person who is receiving it or in any way to attack a person who is receiving that. Uh, It might be received in that way by a person who might not want to be hearing that right now, but it always appears to me that when someone is actively sharing the gospel, they are doing that out of a heart of love, uh, not any other sort of uh, spirit at all. Uh, Let's move on, though. Running short of time, I did want to pick up with you on something important here as we're talking about holiness, the pursuit of holiness before God, which I imagine is not just, in your mind, Edamudia, the idea of uh, going outside of uh, the group, having no more influence, uh, becoming an enclave Christian, huddling down, waiting for the second coming, fear and trembling, because this idea of occupying might actually include the gift that God has given to us. And some gifted in evangelism and pastoral care and these sorts of things we're talking about, consecrating yourself, others about engaging and occupying and holding influential roles, even, and uh, some might be thinking about what we're talking about, the idea of influence, uh, even politics and governance, the idea of not only discipling believers at a local level, but also, according to the Great Commission, discipling nations. What are your thoughts here for the idea of being a person who occupies, getting the centrality of Christ right, but then exercising the gift God has given to you to occupy until he comes? Any thoughts here? Yes, God has given us different talents and gifts, Neil. And um, some are called to very influential positions. Look at the prophet Daniel. Prophet Daniel was also a governor and a high-ranking official, high, high-ranking official in Babylon. Look at David. The Bible calls David a prophet. He was also a king. So we understand that Christians are called to be in medicine. They are called to be in government. They are called to be in the judiciary. They are called to be um, in politics. They are called to be in all sorts of, um, in all areas of influence. And it's a good thing that we have Christians in politics. It's a good thing we have Christians in law. I am a lawyer by profession, but I don't go on the pulpit to speak law. I go on the pulpit to speak Christ. I go on the pulpit to speak righteousness. And so as, as, as far as God Um, The Bible tells us we do our work as unto the Lord. And what is really going to exalt our nation? The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is the reproach of a people. So in whatever area we are called to occupy, we must do it as unto the Lord. 
And my my um, portion, my portion here, Neil, um, and maybe it's born out of my environment and my experience, and you can educate me. But my caution here is we cannot let um, partisan politics into our churches because Satan always uses that to divide the church. Satan is good at that. And so we cannot give him that foothold to come into our midst and cause division. And, you know, um, I always say to our congregations in America, um, I'm not Democrat, I'm not Republican, I'm just Christian. Because the moment I get into that partisan politics, Satan will divide my church. Because I understand we have Christians that are in the Democratic Party, Christians that are in the Republican Party, and um, who am I to tell them which party to belong to? And so I think the key thing for us, and that's why I talked about the distraction, you know, we must avoid this distraction. We are called to occupy until he returns. And in the course of our occupying, we must always keep Jesus at the center. We must always keep him at the center. When Jesus is at the center and the motivations of our heart are right, then I suspect uh, away from the pulpit, there are still going to be those times when there needs to be strategy and influence because there is the suggestion, Ida Moodyer, and I'll get your thoughts here, that one of the greatest ways that we can love our communities is to seek the protection of our communities and when we can see that there are policies on both sides uh, that are anti-Christian against a biblical foundation, if we don't stand up and address those, how are we in fact expressing our love for our nation, for our city, for the people who are in our church if we don't actually have an opinion? What are your thoughts along those lines? That is a very tough question. And it would be naive of me to just give a yes or no answer. But, Neil, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, there were certain things that Jesus was not concerned very much about. In the time of Jesus, there was a lot of injustice against women. Against women. In the time of Jesus, there were so many injustices and the Bible does not tell us that he addressed all of them. You know, what the Bible tells us, look at the story of Mary and Martha. You know, he says to Martha, you know what? You care about these things, but Mary has chosen the better way. You know, has chosen the better way. Yes, we are called to speak truth to power. We are called to reflect the love of Christ. But ultimately, we have to understand that we are not God. We are his representatives, but we are not God. So we can, the church cannot stand up and start dictating and imposing its own will on um, her community. Because Jesus never did that. In fact, Jesus said, if they ask for your garments, give them everything. They slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. But we have this thing now where we want to show that we are right all the time. You know, and I don't have to show that I am right all the time. All I want to show is the love of Christ. You know, is the love of Christ. Because we live in a world, unfortunately, we live in a world where truth has become so relative. 
you know, and we want to be, and that's why I said this is a difficult question, Neil, because we want to be wise as serpents and gentle as a lamb. And it's going to take God's grace. And I think it depends on the particular situation. So we have to ask God for wisdom. Sometimes there are no straight jacket answers. Sometimes we just have to operate in the wisdom of God. And the Holy Spirit will tell us what to do. Ida Moody, I think listeners will be able to hear the humility of your heart as you say these are the things to pursue uh, to get your life straight, right and humbled before God uh, in those acts of repentance for ourselves personally and those things for our local church to not allow our pulpits to be completely overcome by distraction and yes politics could be a distraction in that but I think listeners can also hear your heart when you say what occupy means it is to pursue those things that you are called by God to pursue and of course uh, understanding the purposes of God uh, understanding what he is doing, yeah. bringing history to a culmination where the second coming will happen. And uh, we ought not to be under any false ideas. Jesus said he's coming back. He'll be coming back. And uh, the onus upon us to be ready for that time. Itamudia, let me give listeners the title of your book name once again and a way that listeners could connect with you if they so desire. The book title we've been talking about today, Itamudia Gobadia. Now, let me just spell that in case you're looking to Google that to find the book. I-D-E-M-U-D-I-A. Gobadia is spelled G-U-O-B-A-D-I-A. The book is called Bringing the Church Back to Christ, Preparing the Bride for the Groom's Return. Uh, you could connect with Ida Moodya through his website. He leads the Overcoming uh, the Overcomers in Christ group of churches in the United States, overcomersusa.org, overcomersusa.org. Ida Moodya, thanks so much for sharing your own personal story and your thoughts around your book title. Uh, appreciate you taking that time to share these thoughts with our Australian listeners here on 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. It was my pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.